true believers and strap in as we journey with Matt Spectro through the multiverse. Excelsior! Not to mention the evil genius and brilliant leadership of myself. Open the sky! Look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Matt Spectro through the multiverse! Thank you for joining us once again for Matt Spectro through the multiverse. I am Matt Spectro, lifetime comic fan, lifetime superhero fan, lifetime animation fan, and this is the podcast exclusively talking animation that sprung from the world of comic books. We've got three rules here. Number one, I just explained. Number two, much like the old team-up books, Marvel team-up, Brave and the Bold, DC Comics presents, it's always me and a guest. And number three... We got to have fun. Welcome to episode 13. And as always, it's another special episode. And without further ado, I'm going to bring my guest star this week. She is actually the youngest person to ever appear on Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. Welcome to the show, my niece, Delaney Spectro. Hello. So am I the brave or am I the bold? You can be whatever you like. Um, I prefer to think of myself as bold, but uh, I'm not married to it. So, welcome to the multiverse. And I want to make clear to everybody a few things. Number one, there are going to be spoilers if you haven't seen what we're going to review. And number two, uh, despite my love of comics, I never claim to be an expert. Just a guy who likes comics, like talking about them. We try and be as formative as we can, but we don't always get it right. So, just bear with us. Delaney, uh... Let's get into your uh, background a little bit. Like I said, you are the youngest person to ever appear in my podcast. So I guess we're talking about my secret origins. <laughs> sure, we can do that. Well, now, you grew up in a family with uh, a father who read comics and two uncles that read comics. So do you think uh, comics were part of your DNA? Um, I'd say my dad has an aura about him that if you just like sit next to him, you soak it in. And before you know it, you find yourself awake at night thinking... Hal Jordan. <laughs> so, yes, uh, long-time listeners of the show may remember the first episode where the first momentous special guest was my father, uh, Matt Spectro's brother, Trav Spectro. Yeah, and, going back uh, to episode one where we talked Superman. Yep. So, yeah, as you mentioned, my dad, my uncles, and also my older brother were all very big fans of comic books, comic book animation, superheroes, all that jazz that this podcast is about. So the thing that we're talking about today was, uh, in some ways, my introduction to a lot of the DC universe, but I had seen like Challenge of the Super Friends before. I had seen, on the Marvel side, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Back then, everyone was friends. Nowadays, like the 2010s, superheroes are not as friendly. So I had like some awareness that comic books existed, that these characters existed, but this was really the show that like hooked me into it. I, there was like plot, characters, themes going on. So I'd say it's pretty important to me as how I got into a lot of this stuff. I am not 
as big a reader, I have to say. I am more into like animation, movies, adaptations and stuff. So I'm kind of perfectly suited to be on this podcast. Well, it's uh, all shapes and sizes, if you will. We've had uh, diehard comic fans on here. We've had fans of just animation or just fans of uh, specific things that we've talked about. Or in my wife's case, who was on, who knew nothing and didn't care to know anything. <laughs> But uh, she mentioned a little bit. This week we are talking the Justice League. That's right, the uh, Justice League cartoon from uh, the early two thousands. Now you picked this particular cartoon and episode. You kind of explained how this is what started you. So was that your main motivation for deciding that we would review this episode? Uh, that was one of my main motivations. Another one is I have not seen. Justice League or Justice League Unlimited in a while. I watched it a lot as a kid, a little as an older teen. So I kind of wanted to go back and see if it was as good as I remembered it, if it held up or if the the thing I watched as a kid would lose some of its shine. So we'll see how it compares to when I was like seven. All right. So uh, we're going to get into the history of the show and the Justice League itself in the uh, early 90s. Batman the Animated Series became very popular, which led into the Superman the Animated Series. So then they decided, DC, they were having such success, they were going to develop a Justice League cartoon for uh, Cartoon Network. Developed by Bruce Timm, who had worked on both Batman and the Superman cartoon. The episode we're going to be reviewing is Secret Origins, original air date, November 17th, 2001. A couple of things going into it. We'll go into the lineup well, we're going to start from the beginning. Uh, Superman, obviously you really can't do the Justice League without Superman. Uh, Superman created by Jerry Seigel and Joel Schuster. He's voiced by one George Newbern. Now, Tim Daly had voiced him on Superman the Animated Series, but for other obligations could not commit to the show, so he was replaced. George Newbern was on Scandal. Probably most famous for it is he's the groom in the Father of the Bride movie series. Wonder Woman created by William Moulton Marston. She is voiced by Susan Eisenberg, and uh, she's a, a very uh, prolific video game and cartoon voiceover actress. She most recently is the voice of the Sorceress of Castle Grayskull on the Netflix Masters of the Universe cartoon. Batman, created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane, and he's, of course, voiced by the legendary Kevin Conroy, who had Pretty much voiced him on all of Batman the Animated Series, his appearance with Superman on the World's Finest, the Justice League, and a couple of the directed DVDs. Even played, I believe, an older version of Batman on an episode of the Flash television show, if I'm not mistaken. He also came back for the Justice League action animated shorts that were recent. I remember that. Beautiful. I'll have to watch those. I haven't seen those. The Flash. Now, this is the, uh, they don't say it um, right off the bat, I remember. Or maybe they do. Uh, I can't remember this particular episode. Is the actual Wally West version of The Flash, who was created by John Broom and Carmen Infantino. He's actually voiced by one Michael Rosenbaum, who played Lex Luthor on Smallville. So, a uh, little small world right there. Martian Manhunter, created by, uh, I'm going to probably butcher these names, Joseph Samuelson and Joe Serta. He is voiced by Carl Lumby, who... Uh, as many credits to his name, including he was on Cagney and Lacey. And he was also Isaiah Bradley on uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier just recently, which I didn't know until doing research for this episode. Hot Girl. This is the Silver Age Hot Girl, not to be confused with the Golden Age Hot Girl. 
And, oh, and it will get confusing if we're talking about hawks. And if you talk about comic books, her, her, her backstory will get really confusing. But the Silver Age was created by the immortal Gardner Fox and Joe Kubert. She's voiced by Maria Canella Barrera, who is most famously known for playing Teresa Russo on the Wizards of Waverly Place. That's your, a little bit more your age group. Did you watch that show? Um, I watched a little of it. Don't think I remember too much about it. All I know is I think Selena Gomez, I think, was from that show. And finally, Green Lantern, but not Hal Jordan. John Stewart was created by Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. He's voiced by Phil Lamar, who's on Mad TV. He was, in, uh, he was Marvin in Pulp Fiction. He also has done a ton of uh, voice work. He was uh, Hermes Conrad on Futurama. As well as I believe he was the voice of Static Shock on the Static Shock cartoon, which actually fits into the Justice League cartoon animated world. Now, um, you're probably too young to remember the DC boards, but back in the day, before social media was a thing, there were message boards online, and uh, DC had a message board. And there was a big controversy at the time, even though I normally avoid controversy on this show. That's right. This podcast is all fun all the time. <laughs> exactly. Bruce Timmons said he had added... John Stewart and Hot Girl, instead of using Aquaman and Hal Jordan, because he didn't want the Justice League to just be a bunch of white gentlemen. That's why he made the uh, switch. Some people were very angry at the time. Others were not. I'm of the opinion. I don't see the big deal. Uh, he didn't create a character that didn't exist. He used an existing Green Lantern. He used an existing female superhero. He used existing members of the Justice League. I don't personally see the big deal. Um, I think it was fine. I know some people were a little bothered by the fact that in the Superman animated series, they introduced Kyle Rayner as a Green Lantern in one episode. So the fact that they had introduced the character previously, but he didn't feature in the Justice League upset some people. I mean, I was very much a little kid when this happened. So for years, Jon Stewart was the Green Lantern for me. I didn't know there were other ones until later in life. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. I mean, if you're like a really big fan of Aquaman or Hawkman or one of the other Green Lanterns, it might upset you. But I thought it was nice that they included more than one girl on the team. So it's not just the one token girl that so many cartoons have. Uh, and being that um, all the extreme changes that get made in characters today, I think people should look back and think they were silly for arguing about that at the time. There was also a legal battle, which I'm not sure the details were, where they almost couldn't use Wonder Woman, but Bruce Tim was very insistent on Wonder Woman being a part of this and stuck to his guns. And for whatever reason, they finally worked it out. I had not heard about that. I heard they couldn't use Aquaman for like a season because... I think they were trying to make an Aquaman live action TV show at the time. Yeah, they were pitching a Smallville spinoff with the guy playing Aquaman. I think that was more around the time where it had become Justice League Unlimited. Now, uh, this episode, Secret Origins, like I said, November 17, 2001, was written by a Rich Fogel. He has written many, many different cartoons. He worked on Superman. He worked on Batman Beyond. He worked on the Smurfs. He worked on Yogi Bear and others. And it's directed by Dan Ribba and Butch. I'm not sure how to say this. Lukik, Lusik. I'm not sure. It's spelled L-U-K-I-C. I'm not sure how you say that. He had directed a bunch of the different TV shows. And Dan Ribba had also directed some, including Batman and Static Shock. And an interesting tidbit. This, at the time, was the highest rated premiere in the history of Cartoon Network. Held that record up until 2009. 
when it was ousted by Scooby-Doo, The Mystery Begins, which I've seen a bunch of Scooby-Doo's, but I've never seen that. I don't think I even heard of that particular one. I don't know if that was a, was that a kickoff of a show or was it just a movie? Do you have any idea what that even is? I don't think I've heard that title before. All right. So I'm no help. <laughs> it's all right. I don't know either. And that's why I gave that disclaimer about not being experts. So without further ado, we're going to travel through the multiverse in November 17th, 2001. We're going to watch Justice League Secret Origins. Watch it with us if you can and stay with us. Justice League is a super friends for the next generation of cartoon lovers. An exciting, fun show, skillfully realized. Adam Rogers, Newsweek.com. Every episode becomes an epic event. Animation magazine. Old school comic book crew. Mike Duffy, Nightwitter Newspapers. Watch the show TV Guide is called The Year's Best Action Cartoon. Justice League, only on Cartoon Network. This Power Blast ketchup day is awesome. I wonder where they got it. There's an energy flux on planet Bendan. I'm getting a reading. It appears to be a... Rare type of spicy and tasty ketchup. Right. Power Blast ketchup is now at Burger King. Now in every big kid's meal, you can get one of your favorite Justice League toys and watch Superman roll, Batman rise, and Wonder Woman lasso. There's eight toys in all, so you can start upholding truth and justice at Burger King today. Meanwhile, behind the facade of this innocent-looking podcast... We're back. We just watched Justice League Secret Origins. And it really is a... I'm not going to... It is the origin of the Justice League. It's not really much of an origin story for any of the characters. We get like a little of Wonder Woman's backstory. This show expects you to know who everyone is going in. Well, they're under the assumption you've watched Batman the Animated Series and Superman the Animated Series where the Flash had shown up and Green Lantern had shown up. And they assume that, despite what the films will tell you, everybody knows Batman and Superman's origin at this point. We don't need to rehash that again. It does go a lot more into Martian Manhunter's origin story. He's kind of the focus of the episode. Yeah, the story does revolve around him because um, way before your time, there was a long period in the 70s where Martian Manhunter was never even in the group. They brought him back in the early 80s. And then at that point on, he became like the linchpin of the Justice League. Like you almost couldn't do it. Without him, he became like the guy. And this origin does revolve around him. On that note, we open with a shot of Mars in the Mariner Valley, or Mariner Valley, I'm not sure how you say it, where two astronauts are working. We do see that there's a flag on Mars, which I'm yeah. pretty sure is not a thing in real life. We did put a flag on the moon. Yeah, they had landed on their shuttle and uh, they had planted a flag. So this is a little bit into the future, I guess. Yep. And uh, one of them says that this is a little slice of heaven. And the other one says, well, if heaven was a barren, lifeless rock. Yes. These two guys are named Ed and Carter. Ed is not really important. Carter is going to be more important in this episode because, as we see, the entire plot is kind of his fault. Now, 
I remember the time they said it was Carter Hall, but rewatching it, I don't remember his last name ever coming up. He's always referred to as Carter or Senator Carter. I thought his last name was supposed to be Carter because, yeah, they call him Senator Carter. That's what I think as well. I think I might have been uh, either wishful thinking or just my memory not being any good from back when this actually aired <laughs> I know, uh, 20 years ago. I know that A. Hawkman appears later in Justice League Unlimited. I don't know if that's supposed to be Carter Hall who appeared in Unlimited or a different version of the character. I recall they kind of like glued a few different versions of him together because the Hawkman backstory is very convoluted at this point. Yeah, much like versions of the comics where they keep gluing <laughs> parts. So we digress. There's a big crystal sticking out of the ground. Carter's going to try and take it out. He does manage to do it, but then the ground starts collapsing. There's then- a lot of grounds collapsing in this episode, <laughs> actually. It happens a couple of times. It sucks him in. He falls in and uh, Ed runs back to the shuttle and it stops kind of right before there. So he's okay. And uh, Carter wakes up in a cave, and there's big columns with some sort of alien writing on them, even with a big door. He falls into a hole, loses communication with his buddy, sees these like alien artifacts with alien writing on them, and a, a huge door with a huge seal on it. And this guy immediately wants to bust that thing open. Well, it's, it's uh, human nature to want to explore, to want to look into it. So he, he manages to open it with his little pickaxe. And all of a sudden, like, noise happening, the, the symbols are lighting up, all sorts of craziness. He's freaking out, and the door is open with a huge light, and he screams, and credits. Then, two years later. Yep, we go to uh, a lab in Metropolis, and you see Batman skulking around. He does own this lab, by the way. We see a sign that says, like, Wayne Enterprises Metropolis Subsidiary. So, I don't really know why he's breaking into his own place. Well, um, he thinks there's some shenanigans going up and he doesn't want, you know, he might be a call for action. So you don't want Bruce Wayne doing that. Then one of the scientists leaves and make sure he invites them all to the barbecue this weekend. Yes. This one blonde guy who's throwing a party. We see him later in the, I suppose it's more of a movie than an episode. So I shouldn't keep saying episode, but he comes up again a little bit later. We'll talk about that. Well, it's the premiere episode, even though it's a feature length animated film. It's a, I would call it an episode. So after he leaves the, uh. Aliens, one of them, well, we'll find out they're aliens, so I just spoiled it for you. They, uh, <laughs> well, you did give a spoiler warning for this episode. He raises this huge computer, they smash into the wall, and there's this big, weird-looking alien technology. It looks like kind of a giant blob, and they're uh, speaking some sort of weird language. Batman is hiding in the rafters when all of this happens. He's like, here to investigate something shady going on, and he finds aliens in his company. I'm also not really sure how they don't spot Batman, because this room is very well lit. It's not like a shadowy room that he can hide in the corners of. That's Batman's strength, is uh, he can hide in plain sight. I guess aliens don't have good peripheral vision. They're they're so focused on their mission, they don't look up. So they cut to a scene of, uh, the, we assume they're aliens because the language went on. They're working on the satellite dish, and Batman shows up saying, I doesn't think that's up to code. <laughs> A little, uh, little fight is starting to uh, happen. These aren't just any uh, ordinary people. They're, they're giving Batman a run for their money. Yeah. Doesn't one of them, like, he throws a battering at it and it bounces off her head, yep. like, with a clang sound? <laughs> no effect. And uh, Superman shows up offering help. And, uh, yep. You see the, the red boots Batman descend says, into uh, the scene. He can handle it. Doesn't need Superman's help. Yes. Right at that point, there's a Superman is like, Gets attacked by this extreme headache. He's holding his head. He's got this weird vision, yes. screaming in pain. He's flashing images on the screen. It's very freaky if you don't see it coming. He starts to fall, so Batman 
swings and saves Superman from falling. While he's doing that, they they blow up the satellite. Aliens blow up their own stuff that they were working on because they don't want Batman to get it. As he's attending, uh, they walk away. Well, you see that they're all mangled up and attached to each other, but then they just break apart, walk away. You can tell now these guys are shapeshifters of some kind. Yeah, they're like popping bones back into place and twisting their arms around. And as they leave, one of them winks and uh, <laughs> does the little trigger finger uh, sign of Batman. Apparently, the, they've been on Earth for a little while because the aliens know finger guns. Yeah. Well, I think when he invited him to the barbecue, he went and gave the little uh, point. Ah, it's a callback. Batman says, you know, obviously they don't want to leave any evidence. And uh, he tells Superman he's been observing some strange behavior for months. That there were disruptions in the deep space monitoring. Uh, they don't really get any more specific to that, I guess. Earth is monitoring space to see if anything is up, and someone's messing with it so they can't see what's up in space. Which is, you know, it's a smart idea. At that point, they know of the existence of Green Lantern, so they know there's there's life on other planets, and Superman's an alien, so Superman has to leave, and Batman says, you're collecting another key from the city? A little bit of tinge of jealousy in that voice, I think. Batman is pretty grumpy in this episode. I say animated Batman, they kind of whiffled back and forth on whether or not he's a real jerk or whether or not he's okay with teamwork. And in this episode, he's in a bit of a mood. Superman gives him a signal watch. Call him if he needs him. I like to think Superman just carries those around and in case he sees someone in need, he hands one out. He didn't give him Jimmy Olsen signal watch. He has more than one. I mean, if Batman has Jimmy Olsen signal watch, so what's Jimmy going to do? I don't know. Hopefully he doesn't get in crisis thinking that Superman's going to save him. We switch to the UN, and there's a uh, protest against nuclear weapons, weapons of mass destruction. Yes. And then we go in the UN, and some of them are arguing. The astronaut shows up, uh, yeah, Senator our, Carter. Our friend Carter's back. He did manage to escape that cave with uh, the aliens writing. Or did he? And uh, he gives a big speech about finding peace, introduces Superman, who comes in, who's going to help with this plan. I think this is just the plot of Superman 4. The whole episode is like a mix of Superman 4, War of the Worlds. <laughs> it did seem to borrow heavily from some other uh, things. Well, there's one senator or general, I think he's a general, he's a military type of guy, in the, the meeting, whose name is Wells, and he is very adamant about keeping their weapons and not disarming, and he does not trust Superman. So when Superman walks into the room and Carter gives a speech about how you know, they don't need weapons, they need peace, they need people like Superman who will fight for them. This Wells guy, he's not happy about this. Superman says he had reservations at first as well. But after talking to Senator Carter, he's convinced he can make a difference for truth, justice, and not just the American way, but all over the world. In this show, they are not called the Justice League of America. They are the Justice League for every place. Yes. Then we switch to Snapper Carr, the old... Uh, Hippie uh, sidekick, well, beatnik more sidekick of the Justice League, who's on television. Uh, he's a reporter. and says that was six months ago where Superman gave that speech. For people who don't know, Snapper Carr was in the first issue that the Justice League formed. He was a teenager in that. And he's really just kind of, at first, some kid who bumbled in to being friends with the Justice League. He's appeared in a few adaptations since then. Snaps a lot. Yes, he snaps his fingers. That's why they call him Snapper. And I believe in the first appearance. He comes across the accidentally how to beat Starro with the, uh, the lime, if, I, uh, if my memory is serving correct. Yeah, it's kind of a case where 
some random guy figures out the answer to beating the bad guy, and everyone's like, man, this guy's so amazing. But, like, anyone could have done that. He just happened to be covered in some gardening supplies that turned out to be the weakness. Well, for some of you uh, younger listeners or uh, people that aren't all that familiar with the history, um, when they were reinventing the superheroes in DC, it was a lot of the writers that had been around for a while. So they weren't exactly uh, in touch with uh, the youth of the early 60s. They were trying, God bless them. But if you go back and read those, Snapper Card's dialogue is absolutely ridiculous. But we'll digress. Now he's a news reporter. He's not an idiot anymore. Why he's going by the name Snapper, I don't know. But that was six months where Superman was, has been disarming the warheads. We see him using, I don't know if it's here or a little later on, he uses his heat vision to disarm a weapon, which I don't know very much about nukes, so I don't know what he's doing there. You'd think that would be dangerous, personally. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. They show different people. Some people love it. Some people are against it. And one person whose opinion we get is The Flash. He says that his heart's in the right place, that he's the fastest man alive, and even he can't be in five places at once. The Flash in this animated universe had been introduced in an episode of Superman the Animated Series, so he and Superman are already kind of buddies. They did one of those races around the world for charity that they do that kind of plot in the comics. Flash had a different voice actor then in Superman the Animated Series. He was not Michael Rosenbaum. You are correct. I don't know who voiced him then, so I don't don't do research. (laughs) But you are correct about that. That's one of the good things about this episode, I feel, is that the story can flow a little bit better because they don't have to reintroduce like every single character. A lot of them, they're either I've introduced or they're under the impression that you're already familiar with them. So Superman's resting in his apartment. He has another intense vision, another headache. Gotta say, Superman's got a pretty nice apartment. It's really big. It's got these huge windows. It's kind of got like a funky look to it, like stuff slanted. It's got some nice furniture is what I'm saying. He's a star for the Daily Planet. Apparently it pays well. Um, So then we go to a closed facility that Batman is investigating. Is this supposed to be like any place in particular? Because I was a little confused. We just cut to Batman breaking into some place. Yeah, they don't say if it's Metropolis again or if they moved to Gotham at this point. It's owned by Star Labs, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's what it said on the sign, but it's closed. It's shut down, and he sees those uh, same people he fought earlier sneaking around the facility. This time he sneaks in. He's not directly. He's learned his lesson. He's going to be a little more stealthy. He finds some pods, very uh, nasty alien-looking pods, similar to some of the stuff in the uh, second Aliens movie. There's uh, humans in them, and it looks like the humans that are the same ones he fought. Yes, it's the same people, but these are the human versions, not the the aliens. And I know this is like a, a show for kids, so they want to have a minimal death happening, but I'm not really sure why they kept these people alive, because I'm pretty sure they don't like need them alive to impersonate them, so I guess they just put them into pods so the kids can know that the heroes are going to rescue them. It's okay. Yeah, hold that thought, because there's a we're going to get to a plot point later on that's going to relate to what you just brought up, so uh, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to put a pin and get back to that. Oh, I'm jumping ahead. Well, not, not you're not really jumping ahead, but there's a part later on that would actually relates to that that makes me... Think you uh, you bring up a very good point, <laughs> so we're gonna come back to that. A dog attacks Batman. Batman's holding his own. He climbs on the wall to get away from it, and the dog turns into white alien goop. It's a goop dog. It's a shape shifting alien goop dog. I gotta say, some of the like alien stuff in this episode is pretty freaky. There's like everything's made out of goop, and there's tentacles and stuff sticking to things. It's very grody. And the dog has like an evil like 
smile too when he turns into the alien. At that point on, Batman just gets destroyed by the dog. Like uh, he's just getting thrown around. He gets thrown into a bookcase. Even a bookcase falls on him, and he is just completely crushed by that bookcase. And, uh, but right before he loses consciousness, he clicks on the signal watch. Turns out Batman does need help. Superman shows up to save him, but there's no aliens left. And uh, as he's helping him out, all of a sudden he sees a giant meteor crashing in the city. The city, which I'm going to assume is Metropolis because we saw like it took Superman like a second to get here. But I mean, he's Superman, so he could have taken a second to get anywhere. Uh, there's a, a couple scenes in this episode where it is specifically Metropolis. And then there's also some that are just the city. <laughs> That's true. So Superman has to rescue, so he finds uh, an ambulance to get Batman some medical attention. In this universe, is it just normal that you can be a paramedic doing your job and then like a superhero will fly in carrying another superhero and be like, help this guy? I would have to assume in DC World and Marvel too that there's paramedics like police officers that are always just driving around because of random supervillain fights, alien attacks, whatever, what have you, because there's uh, always going to be... Well, in any major city, someone who needs medical attention. She goes to reach to take Batman's mask off. Not a good idea. He grabs her by the wrist and says, don't even think about it. Also, I really isn't like good time to bring this up, but Batman's cape is very purple. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was the television or if that was the coloring of the episode. He did seem to have a tint of purple to his costume. He's got like a lightish gray bodysuit and a very dark purple cape. I remember it being more like blue or black, but maybe they were trying to figure out the color palette. Yeah, I really was thinking that at the time, if it was your television's a little older, so I didn't know if it was the tint of the television or if that was the actual coloring of the episode. So out of the meteor comes a huge, white, organic, alien-type vessel, looking very like the Steven Spielberg War of the Worlds uh, aliens, very tall with long legs, shooting lasers. It's got a big red eye that shoots laser beams. So Superman gets into a fight with it. It's wreaking havoc. Shoots <laughs> Superman with a laser. And Superman goes flying. Superman gets beat up a lot in these episodes. I mean, there's not like a moment where it's like, oh, really serious that he's getting beaten and maybe he won't make it. But he just gets like smacked a lot and sent flying and hit with lasers. I guess it's to show these guys are really powerful. Even Superman has a hard time fighting them. Yeah, it was a common theme on that cartoon where uh, they had a problem that Superman could solve in like, Less than a minute, so they always had to find some way to take him out so that wouldn't happen. He crashes into the plane, so then Batman shows up with the Batplane, no less. That was pretty exciting. And he's shooting missiles at him. In the background, I don't know if you noticed, you saw the globe on the Daily Planet blow up. Yeah, it's like half of it's destroyed, and it's all on fire, and I don't know if they ever fixed that. Like, I don't know if we ever see in Justice League later on that the Daily Planet's fine, or... It just got wrecked. I mean, that would answer your question earlier where they were. They have to be in Metropolis because they just blew up the Daily... Well, they blew up the globe on top of the Daily Planet. Some jets try and help Batman take out the plane, but uh, those have no effect either. Superman's back. He's trying to take the alien. All of a sudden, you see the meteor cracks again and another alien ship. So now there's more of these things. Superman gets another one of his crippling headaches. A moment before that, Superman's like buried under tons of rubble. And you see Snapper Carr trying to, like, pick up the rocks to get him out, which, you know, I thought was very nice of him. He's probably not going to make a big difference. He's just one normal guy, but he sees Superman in trouble and tries to help him. I believe at one point he even said, uh, he snapped his fingers, <laughs> said, snap a shot of this. 
Yes, he does snap his fingers a couple of times. He's like using it to signal his camera people. And then you mentioned Superman is another one of those weird visions. And he kind of goes into a trance. He's not really moving or saying anything. So Snapper Carr snaps his fingers in front of his face and is like, hey, Superman. Now, uh, Superman leaves. And Batman even questions, uh, where is he where, going? Where is he going? Now, when I first saw this, like not remembering the episode as well, I was wondering if like the aliens were trying to control Superman and he was going to go evil there for a moment. But in a few scenes, we find out what's really happening to Superman. That would be the kind of the uh, almost the, I think, implied implication by what's going on. So then there's another report of Snapper Car saying the city is destroyed and we're getting reports from all over the world. We see Paris and Malaysia and a few other places being attacked. Yeah, everything's on fire. Stuff's crumbling. We see like, I guess, refugees. Like there's a bunch of people hiding in old buildings and like people trying to protect kids. And Snapper Car wonders, where's Superman? What's he doing about this? So right then we flip to a shot of, and I always say this wrong, Theramaskia. The mascara. <laughs> we we switch from burning horrible terror in the city to a very calming shot of the ocean. Back Where, in my day, it was Paradise Island, but uh, nah. <laughs> I think like Paradise Island is part of the greater nation of the mascara. Is the implication? You could be right. So you see Wonder Woman and her mother are uh, there on the ocean. Wonder Woman says, "Oh, there's an omen that this is happening." Yes, everything's cool on the Amazon's island, but they know out there. There's some bad stuff happening. And uh, her mother says she doesn't have to be concerned. The gods will protect them. And Wonder Woman says, uh, hope you're right. And Wonder Woman, what I'd like to point out, is just wearing like a little a white sundress. She's not dressed as Wonder Woman at this point. Nope. She's just Diana at this point. They're on horses, which I don't know if the Amazons had horses in the comics, but I do remember there was a period of time where the Amazons' main like steed animal were kangaroos. I remember that. <laughs> oh. I think this cartoon would have been improved if Wonder Woman had a big jumping kangaroo that she rode around on. <laughs> yes, well, but who wouldn't, though, when you think about it? It doesn't seem it, but it's actually a big moment because this is the first time Wonder Woman has showed up in animation since 1985. That's like a 16-year gap with no Wonder Woman that I could come up with because she didn't show up on Batman, she didn't show up on Superman, she didn't show up on Static Shock. So there's a big, over a decade gap of Wonder Woman not showing up in animation. So this is a bigger moment than it seems. The Justice League lineup of this cartoon is, there's a bit of, we meet some new characters in this episode who join the team, and there's old characters who are established in their own shows, and so there's a little of, oh, I know that guy, and oh, this person's new. Then they go to a shot, Batman is at a destroyed military base, looks like in the mountains. And um, we see Superman punching a wall. Yep, he finds more pods, Superman's punching a wall. Batman says something about how Superman's destroying government property, and that's not really his style. But Superman's going to explain it, because they break in, and you see a giant green alien is being held captive. And Soup says, he's mankind's only hope. Dun-dun-dun. Obviously, to anyone listening, uh, you have to know it's Martian Manhunter in his original alien form. He's got a pointy head and, like, two toes. Which, to my knowledge, they never developed that until the 80s, that the Martian Manhunter look was him trying to blend in, that he actually had a different form, which is a retcon that I can actually get behind. I think it actually works better with the Martian Manhunter look being him trying to adapt to Earth superheroes. Because we see in a moment, this guy's got like shackles and a thing wrapped around his head and Superman gets him free. And Batman's a little skeptical of this guy. 
So Martian Manhunter shapeshifts into being something more suitable. And so he looks more human now. He's got like a human-shaped head, and he's wearing trunks and a cape, which I find kind of amusing that the two people he sees are Superman and Batman, who wear suits with capes and the little trunks on. So Martian Manhunter just copies that. To him, maybe that's how the Earth people look, like all like superheroes. Even not extends his hand, but Batman doesn't shake it. Superman tells him not to take it personal. And I mean, how can you not take Batman not shaking your hand personal? So they go to leave and uh, the army stops him. It's that guy we saw before, Wells, who does not like Superman. He does not like Martian Manhunter. And Superman tries to tell him that this guy, this guy here is Earth's one hope. And then Wells reveals that he knows that. And that's why he's going to stop him because he is not Wells. The human, he's been replaced with an alien too. So right then, uh, they leave you hanging for a minute. They cut back to Theramaskia. <laughs> I'm probably saying that wrong. Forgive me. And you see a cloaked figure sneaking around. And you In see- like a Grecian temple type place. There's columns and there's like long boats outside. She goes to a uh, like an altar type table where you see Wonder Woman's lasso, the bracelets, the tiara, and the costume. Yes. You find out it's Diana. She's, I guess, stealing these magical artifacts and armor so she can sneak off because her mom doesn't want her to help the outside world. And she hopes her mother will give her forgiveness for this. I guess the like sparkly gold armored bathing suit is the traditional garb of the Amazons. They don't spend a lot of time on that one really getting into it. You flip back, back to Martian Manhunter, Superman, Batman. They're, uh, they're fighting the aliens. Marshmander actually goes through Batman to save him from getting hurt, but gets hurt in the process. I remember there was a part where Batman threw like a uh, fancy battering at the the aliens attacking them, but it made a huge explosion. It's like that <laughs> was a, a heavy ordnance battering for serious problems. They escape in the bat plane with a uh, because Marshmander is hurt at this point. Of John Jaws, however you prefer to say it. I don't believe in the cartoon they ever call him Martian Manhunter. He's just called John. Yeah, I believe you are correct. I don't think in this they called him that once. The alien ships are uh, pursuing the bat plane. Superman's fighting some of them as well. But there's too many of them. The bat plane gets shot. It's going to crash. But then. Green Lantern saves the day. He comes up and he saves Batman's plane from crashing. Also, Hot Girl shows up with her mace and she is uh, wreaking some havoc on some alien ships. What I mentioned before about how the Justice League is like a mix of characters we saw previously and characters that first appeared in this episode, Hawkgirl flies by the plane and Batman says, Hawkgirl, what's she doing here? So these characters are new to the audience, but the heroes all know each other already. They've heard of each other. Yeah, I believe Wonder Woman and John Jaws are the only, like, this is the first appearance of them in the animated universe, whether it be on camera or off camera. My stepson and I talk about this with Hawkgirl all the time. Could she attack or fight? Without going, she's very angry and she wants to let you know that. Screams no matter what. She punches you, hits you with a mace, whatever. It's always, (laughs) Green Lantern apologizes. There was an uprising on Rigel 9. That's why he's late. Yes, he was dealing with a problem on another planet. So you kind of alluded to this earlier when you mentioned that like, oh, Earth must already know about aliens because they know about Green Lantern. It is a bit unclear how much people know because, yeah, we've got 
alien heroes and heroes who go to space and they just talk about how, oh yeah, I was just on another planet or, oh yeah, I come from another planet. But you're not really clear on how much guys off the street would know about this. That is true. Now, Hawk Girl gets shot out of the sky. Then Wonder Woman jumps in and saves her with the magic bracelets. Yes, she's deflecting shots with her silver bracelets that she's got on. And let me tell you, when you are a kid watching this for the first time, you think Wonder Woman is the coolest thing ever because she's got those sick bracelets that can deflect shots and she moves super fast so she can always be right there. I always thought those bracelets were the coolest thing. I mean, that was a hell of a way. For all three of them, Hot Girl and Wonder Woman especially, great ways to make their first appearance on this cartoon. And then Jon Stewart says, maybe my favorite line of the episode, who's this rookie in the tiara? Yes, because Wonder Woman is only arriving in the outside world for the first time, and so people do not know who she is. Unlike the other heroes who are established, she's all new, nobody knows her, and some people don't know how good she is. We see Green Lantern being very skeptical, like, oh, this amateur, I don't think we should have her on a mission. And Flash shows up as well, he gives Batman a piece of the bat plane, Yes, and then he sees Wonder Woman and says... Suave as he is, where have you been all my life? I just want to say, Flash is a delight. He is basically the comic relief member of the team, and he's probably my favorite. I mean, Wally West is one of my favorite characters in the comics. He's just very lighthearted and goofy and has so many great lines. And her response to where have you been is, they're Mosquia. And he says, huh? Yeah, she she takes the question literally. But no one's heard of Themyscira, so she has to explain that it's an island of Amazons protected by the gods. They win the fight. Martian Manhunter makes it clear he's summoned them all telepathically. Well, at least Flash and Wonder Woman, uh, I'm not sure about. I'm assuming Hot Girl as well, maybe not Green Lantern. Green Lantern has to, he's a cosmic guardian, he's got to know this is going on. This is where we're going to get the big origin of Martian Manhunter, who also explains the villain. We flash back to a thousand years ago on Mars. So that would be the year 1000? I guess. This presumably takes place in the 2000s. So, yes, so, this is when the Crusades were going on. <laughs> Mars is a place of peace and prosperity. They have a whole civilization. And then they are attacked by the white aliens. This is actually a really cool, well-written uh, part how they're a peaceful race, but they adapt to war quickly to save their race. And yes. see all kinds of havoc is going on on Mars. Yes. Before the aliens attack, you see... A Martian, I assume, is Jean standing on a balcony of a building, and he's got another Martian with him who, there's not a whole lot of like explanation of the specifics, but I assume this is his wife or some loved one of his, because there's a lot of like relying on the visuals in this section. He just gives an overview, and you see like what's happening. You don't hear like any dialogue in the flashbacks, like it's just his narration. It's a minor thing, but I like the, they didn't go with the cliche of, alien race wearing human looking clothes like they're pretty much just in their alien form it's kind of a original way to approach it which really doesn't get done a lot when it comes to alien races yes also the the clothes martian manhunters wearing in the present are like not actually clothes because we see him shapeshift into them so he just kind of like made his body look like that (laughs) so you find out the war went on for centuries but in the long run the uh, martians are losing Well, because he's explaining this to the other heroes, he does say a thousand of your Earth years. That's true. So it could be even longer or less for all we know. uh, 
We don't know how that translates to Martian time. I also don't know how like he knows how long a year is on Earth, maybe because he's telepathic. He can just learn these things. Well, they don't really specifically say how long he's been on Earth, so maybe he's out of time to adapt. Uh, but the reason they're losing is that the aliens are stealing their strength. They sort of are parasites, psychic parasites, and they're even taking their ability to shapeshift. Yes, because we see one of them puts their finger on a Martian's forehead and then like green lines flow from the Martian into the invading alien and then the invading alien turns into a copy of a Martian. So he says that the last survivors are going to make a final showdown. This is what I wanted to bring up earlier, the last survivors. So there's heavily implied that they've killed a ton of the Martian race. So it brings up the point, why aren't they killing the humans on the planet Earth? Well, maybe the pods were supposed to kill them, but it like drains over time and the heroes got them out before it completely worked. Well, that could be. So they, uh, they hit the central core, hit them with a nerve gas that paralyzes the white aliens, completely stopping them. Sadly, though, John Jaws is the last survivor, the last son of Mars. Yep. And Very sad. He tells us 500 years he's guarded them. Until those those pesky astronauts showed up, and John was sleeping, and they let him out. Like I said, this plot is basically Carter's fault, because the invading aliens had been defeated, and Martian Manhunter imprisoned them all in this underground chamber, and then this guy decided to break it open and let everything bad came out. So they uh, go back, and uh, Wally says he can't believe that uh, the government knew about aliens and didn't say anything. And Green Lantern says, those pencil pushers in Washington must have kept it classified. Right, because they mentioned that Carter was there when the chamber opened and all of the, the bad aliens got out. But when he came back to Earth, he was acting normal, like nothing, no big deal, nothing happened. And Yeah, the audience was probably wondering, how did he get out of there and why is he okay? They deduced that this is why they were doing that stuff to the satellites to stop the detection of uh, alien activity. And that's also why... Superman was disarming the nukes as a plot so they wouldn't be able to shoot the nukes at these alien ships. I have to say, there's one like complaint I have about this episode is that some of the dialogue is a bit like stilted and clunky. Right after Martian Manhunter tells them all about this problem with the aliens invading and how bad it is, Green Lantern just says something like, we've got to stop them before it's too late. And earlier in the episode, when, like, the alien disguised as Wells is chasing after them and they get to the Batman's plane, Batman just says, that was close. It's just a lot of characters making statements that I feel should be obvious. Like, when the aliens first arrive on Earth, Superman goes like, oh, whatever that is, I have to stop it. Well, Bush Manhunter also said, it may be already too late. So then they go back to Earth and, uh, well, they never left Earth. They go back to where the, the, the scene switches yes. back to Earth. And this giant alien structure, organic thing, like much bigger than the ships, appears out of one of the asteroids. It's like drilling into the it's ground. It's drilling into the Earth. All sorts of crazy things going on. And Martian Manhunters, it's causing like this huge like cloud lightning storm. It kind of looks like a heart because it's got these like red chambers that pulsate and it's got like these black tubes that grow out of it. It very much looks like an organic type of thing. And Martian Manhunter, Jean Jaws, says very cryptic, it has begun. Dun dun dun. He also mentions something important about the aliens, which is that they are nocturnal. The whole point of this machine is uh, they are going to uh, block out the sun. They're going to create perpetual darkness on Earth. 
And Wally, I believe, asked why we don't just make more of that nerve gas. It comes from a rare Martian plant. Exactly. And he had a sample, but the same government people who captured him apparently destroyed it. And if there is any left, they're going to have to go all the way back to Mars for it. So that's not really a plan. So when they decide they're going to take care of this, they got to stop it. Green Lantern, referring to one woman, says, this is no job for amateurs. I gotta say, uh, Green Lantern's got a real chip on his shoulder about Wonder Woman for some reason. Also in this conversation, Superman refers to Green Lantern by his real name, John. So really further establishing that everyone already knows each other. They all met off screen. He hasn't just like heard of, oh, a Green Lantern. I know them by reputation. He knows this one specifically. And Wonder Woman asks if uh, he wants to try her. (laughs) Superman breaks up this little scuffle. I gotta say, um... The whole world is being invaded by aliens that they've had little success. You'd think Green Lantern would take every health they can get. Yeah, he's a bit hard on some of the other ones. He's doubting Wonder Woman, and he really doesn't like the Flash very much. Superman says we need teams, and Flash says he's got dibs on the Amazon. Yes, he immediately runs up to her and throws his arm around Wondy. And then the scene cuts. They subvert your expectations. He's teamed up with Green Lantern. And Flash just says, you're no fun. They get to the uh, one of the drills where uh, Green Lantern's trying to make orders, make a plan, and Flash just says, uh, what are we waiting for? Let's just kick some butt. John Stewart takes a really military approach to things. Flash, a little bit uh, carefree. He just wants to run in and punch some aliens. And as you probably can guess, Flash doesn't uh, succeed, gets blasted into a big pile of green goop yes. where he can't move. Yes, I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of grounds caving in and grounds opening up in this episode. He's just running along, and then the ground, like, bursts, and he falls in, and yes, he's stuck in some green alien goop. Green Lantern rescues him, but then we cut to Egypt. Batman, Wonder Woman, and Jean Jaws are hiding, observing what's going on. Wonder Woman even comments that uh, we shouldn't be hiding like cowards. Wonder Woman kind of thinks like the Flash, and she just wants to run in and fight these guys. Batman says how they must have a weakness, and Wonder Woman just goes in for the attack, and... Batman says, let's see what she can do. Wonder Woman says, that's the Amazon way, is that they don't hide. She takes down one of these ships with a magic lasso, very Empire Strikes Back, where she hooks the legs and causes the thing to tip over sideways. She mentions uh, the Greek goddess Hera will give her strength. She mentions that a couple times throughout the episode. They crash into the big uh, structure, and Wonder Woman says, there's your opening. She made a door. And uh, Batman says, not bad. Yes, Batman's impressed with her. He's getting one over. Batman also, there's a little shot of him observing the outside of the facility, like he's kind of deduced something, but we're left to think about what that is. That's what we call foreshadowing. So then we switch over to Hawkgirl and Superman who are teamed up. They've broken into the structure and they're fighting aliens. One of my favorite scenes in the episode where Superman says to hold back and Hawkgirl's like, the hell with that? She flies at him, attacks the alien. She just destroys them. Yes, and uh, for listeners who might not be aware, Hawkgirl's fighting style is she has a big spiky mace that is very heavy, and she hits things with it. That is how she rolls. There was a whole lot of, yeah, in this scene. (laughs) So um, we go back to GL Green Lantern. He's uh, helping him out, but chewing him out for his uh, recklessness and not listening. And Flash does call him GL for short. So, all right, it wasn't just me. I was writing gel to, to abbreviate my notes, but he calls him that. <laughs> There's another fight. They win and they take off. 
They go back to Superman and Hot Girl, and she uh, gives a little backstory of Thanagar, how they're a uh, planet of the warriors. We don't learn in this episode how she got to Earth yet. I think we learn a little bit more about that in Justice League, and well, her people end up being important to the finale of that show. But for now, we just know that she's from Thanagar, and she is a warrior. Well, she I goes raw. <laughs> Maybe that's why. Uh, they got rid of the America, because you think about it, more members aren't American than are, actually. Batman, Superman, and John Stewart are the only Americans. Superman, Martian Manhunter, Hot Girl, and Wonder Woman, none of them are actually American. Well, Superman's an immigrant. That's true. After that, the gas takes out Hot Girl, and um, Superman gets blasted, he takes out. And in the fight, Batman actually says, it's almost like they know what we're thinking. Mysterious. I think that was another line that landed a bit weird to me, because he's like, it's almost like they know. That he said it out loud? <laughs> yeah, there is a little bit of that. Like, when a character has to go do something, they're like, I've got to go do something. So, uh, Martian Manhunter has a vision. You can tell that the others have been defeated. Yes, there's- so They're going to retreat. A lot of Martian Manhunter saying, oh, I can sense this. He's got telepathic powers, so he can sense all kinds of things. This is where you know the, the shit's going down. Batman pulls out an electric- pair of bat brass knuckles yes he sure does you knew things were happening um martian manor tells him they got to remove the crystal from the central core that's an ion matrix crystal which <laughs> i think that's just uh, a phrase that they made up i don't think it means anything in particular the term ion gets used a lot in animation and comic books martian manor does remove it but then it gets blasted yes he drops it and Batman yells to Wonder Woman to get Martian Manhunter out of here. And they all try and escape, but Batman has the crystal. He doesn't get out. The door is closed behind Wonder Woman and Martian Manhunter. The aliens have these like goopy doors where like a curtain of goop comes out of the walls and then like closes up and seals. And in all the previous scenes, those things come out and seal up really fast. So Wonder Woman and John can make their escape. This one moves slow so they can slip by. There's laser blasts behind it, and yes. Wonder Woman's like, no, and Martian Manhunter says, he's, he's gone. gone. Similar to the old Hobbit cartoon. I don't know if you remember the, Bilbo, he's gone. Wonder Woman, when she sees like the explosions behind the door going, no, was also a little bit flat. And then Wonder Woman, again, Hera help us. There's that reference in that old Hera again. Apparently that's the goddess statue that was standing over when wonder woman got her stuff we saw it's like at the base of a statue we switch over to they're fixing the satellite once they get it fixed also we see the party guy yes the party guy is there same blonde guy who didn't know his friends were aliens and he probably still doesn't know because he's like what's going on and he says this can't be right the readings are off the chart and all of a sudden, they're going to need a bigger chart. <laughs> a shot of outer space and the huge mothership is coming. And just a reference, uh, Hera is the goddess of women, marriage, family, and childbirth. That would explain a little bit why, uh, since she's a goddess of women specifically, why the Wonder Woman would always be referencing her. She's from an island of all women. And Hera is the queen of the Greek gods, so pretty much the female equal to Zeus. Then we switched to Snapper Car back on the news saying that this ship is five times bigger than the ones that are already here. Snapper looks so tired when they cut to him for this news report. He's had a long day. 
there's a riot in the city. Uh, the world's coming to an end. Someone's even paints like the end is near, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you see guys breaking store windows to steal stuff, and Wonder Woman is not impressed. She's talking about the savagery of these people. Says, uh, mankind are untamed savages. But Martian Manhunter tells her not to be so hard on them. They're they're consumed by their fear. Yeah, it's, uh, that was a good little moment. Uh, really, uh... Sizing up Martian Manhunter's character. They really uh, do a good job with him. You see, there's two guys who look like punks. They're dressed like biker dudes, but they're okay guys because there's a pile of rubble and they're shouting for help because two kids are trapped under there. When the ship comes over the horizon, it's like engulfing the whole city. And uh, Martian Manhunter explains that's Imperium, the supreme intelligence. I think this is the only time we get any kind of name for the aliens. Because, uh, yeah, they established earlier they didn't know where they came from, but he knows that he's the one controlling them. When they're making a plan, Flash says, can we really trust this space case? Yeah, and in his defense, Martian Manhunter gets pretty weird this episode. Oh, that, that Flash with those witty quips of his. We're going to see a little bit later Martian Manhunter doing something kind of weird and freaky, and Flash just reacts by going, wow, that was really weird and freaky. And uh, he's right. We'll We'll talk about that in a moment. Flash causes a diversion, so the aliens are trying to shoot him as he's running all over the place. Yes, being very silly. And, uh, like I said, this this scene is just a delight for me because I love the Flash. Yeah, and- doesn't he even stick his tongue out at the thing at one point? Yes, he's like, one of them shoots into the laser and he immediately jumps to the side. He's like, ha, you missed me. And he's running all around, like taunting them and getting them to chase after him. I believe even the ship blows up one of its own legs at one point where it can't balance anymore. So the other three sneak in. Flash, of course, uh, he, as super speed, shows up, joins them. They see a couple of guards, so Martian Manhunter uses his shape-shifting ability to disguise as one of the other aliens. This is actually the first scene where they show Martian Manhunter can change into other things as well. He speaks the alien language, and I guess he tells the two alien guards, they're like, hey, the intruders are over here. And when the other aliens run up to the heroes to attack them, Martian Manhunter turns intangible sticks his hands into these aliens, and then turns tangible again. And Flash says, is anyone else creeped out by that? Yeah, it's... Vision and Martian Manhunter both do that trick, and I always thought that would kill a person. I'm pretty sure he does kill those two aliens. You have to kind of, I guess, go with your own, uh, what you think. Uh, After that happens, uh, they can't get through. Wonder Woman's not strong enough to break through the center, so uh, Green Lantern, very a la... Qui-Gon Jinn and uh, Phantom Menace is like a little concentrated ray burning through this door. Two things on that scene. One, Wonder Woman seems to give up on that wall really quickly. Like she runs up to it, she pushes on it, and then she goes, it's no use. And the other one is Jon Stewart is cutting it with his ring. And it looks to me like it would take a while because that beam is moving very slowly. And when we next see them, he made a huge hole. So I think they were just like waiting behind that wall for a couple of minutes for him to cut that opening. Well, for time purposes, they cut the scene short and they get through and Superman and Hot Girl are both captured. But They're stuck in some goop hanging from the ceiling. John Jaws says something's not right. It's a trap! <laughs> yes, they, they walk up to them and suddenly Hot Girl and Superman's eyes open and they got red eyes. Nerve gas all over the place. They're all getting taken out. They're all captured. Everyone is captured. Things are looking pretty bleak. That was not the real Superman, Hawk Girl. Those were aliens because we saw they can shapeshift. And then when they're captured, in comes Senator Carter. 
who actually refers to them as uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Which is what the Avengers are usually called. Uh, no one can tell me that wasn't like a little friendly jab over at our friends at Marvel. Yes. So now we know why Carter was keeping the alien secret. It's because he has become one of them. He's been replaced. And he explains to Superman he was used to take out the weapons so they wouldn't be able to shoot down the alien ships. And then uh, in comes Imperium, looking like a, I guess the best way to describe him is some kind of giant space jellyfish. Yes, he's big, he's pink, and he's got lots of tentacles. He looked to me like that giant jellyfish from SpongeBob SquarePants if it was from outer space, basically, is how I would describe it. In this scene, all the alien characters are speaking English. They're yeah. speaking to the humans. I think this is the only time they do. We see the Carter alien talking and the the Imperium alien leader also communicating with them. I guess he's probably using telepathy to like speak their language. He knows Martian Manhunter. He says it's been a long time. Yes. Well, as we heard, it's been 500 of our Earth years. So he starts torturing him by shooting like tentacles under his skin. Pretty yeah. gruesome and painful looking. Well, like I said, the aliens in this episode get freaky and surreal. It hurts so bad that he can't even like keep up the more adapted Martian Manhunter costume. He turns back into his true form. And he's going to consume him. He's like, he's, you finally lost. And he's pulling him right into himself like he's going to, I guess, eat him or something. This is the completion of the Martian elimination or something like that. Yeah, so, uh, so <laughs> But then he senses that he's hiding something. The big Imperium alien says something like, except that you've lost. And Martian Manhunter goes, have I? And Batman shows up. He's not dead. He's not dead after all. It was him and Martian Manhunter pulling a big trick. I feel like it was a bit of a dick move to like lie to his friends about it. Like Wonder Woman seemed very upset when she thought Batman was dead. Well, they couldn't take a chance on them having telepathy and knowing that he was alive. Yeah, that's true. It makes sense that he'd do it. uh, Martian Manhunter says how he's been mentally shielding him. So the, the aliens couldn't sense that Batman was there the whole time. Batman, he's gonna reverse the ion charge. Yes. The crystal and the tank that it's in is orange, and Batman puts something in it that causes it to turn blue, and you see the blue spreading over all of the aliens' glowing tech and weird organic lumpy things, so he's turned it from bad to good. And it blows up, blowing huge holes in the walls, which the sunlight's coming through, and it's uh, burning some of the aliens. Apparently, they're nocturnal because the sun really hurts them. They are, like, boiling with... Skin sizzling is not pleasant for these guys. Uh, not a nitpick, but Mars doesn't really have an atmosphere, so wouldn't the sunlight have burned them already when they were invading Mars? Uh, who's to say? <laughs> There's a big fight where they're smashing things, trying to let as much sunlight. Martian Manhunter's trying to drag the Imperium into the sunlight. They're basically like reverse Superman, where Batman explains it's the ultralight rays that hurt them, basically. The yellow sun that gives Superman his powers actually has the reverse effects and kills them, basically. A couple of things to note is that while, like, Alien Carter was talking to them, the heroes were all, like, stuck in this wall of goop. Two things. One, when the, like, sunlight streams into the building and they realize it's the alien's weakness, you just see Superman as a little smile, which I I thought was a nice little touch, because he's like, now that the sun's shining on him, he's, like, charged up and ready to fight. And the other one is when Hawkgirl breaks out of, like, this part where her hand is stuck in the wall, she's still holding the mace. The, the mace was stuck in the wall with her. You'd think they'd take that away from her. Well, that, that's how strong that uh, that goop was that was holding them. Marsh Manor is defeating Imperium, and he's going to try and escape. He even, like, kicks uh, Carter, Senator Carter off, and he gets burnt up. 
But Wonder Woman, like, hooks the ship with her magic lasso. She's not letting him get away that easily. Yes, the ship's flying away, and she's got it on a lasso, and it managed to, like, wrench free of her grip. But then, <laughs> And uh, Wonder <laughs> while that's happening, Hot Girl comes, starts smashing up the ship. She's they basically just her and Wonder Woman work together and yeah, trounce it. Because when I saw that scene, I thought what was going to happen was because like the lasso slips from Wonder Woman's hand that Hawk Girl was going to grab the lasso and pull it back, but she just flies in and smashes that ship. And it crashes. They pretty much win. The clouds go away. Sunlight's shining through the whole planet, and you see an alien ship leaving. Presumably the mothership, but just without the Imperium anymore. The clouds are parting, and it's all sunny again. And uh, then you cut to, you guessed it, Snapper Car with another news report. He's reporting the JLA has defeated the remaining resistance and they've made the Earth safe again. Yep. You see there's like a couple of alien stragglers, but they're taking care of it. And I believe it's Wells who gives the speech about, but it might have been the other general, I can't remember now. that. Uh, I, I think it's the same guy. About what happens next time when these, these aliens come back and shot a Batman going like, hmm. <laughs> yes. This was, like, uh, not a thing when the show was created, but nowadays we have emojis, and one of them is a person raising their hand to their face thinking, and when I saw that, all I could think was, Batman looks just like that emoji. He's, he's doing a, hmm, thinky face. So you go to the shot that the JLA Watchtower is there. Because apparently Batman just owns a giant satellite in space. Superman questioned it, and he said something to the effect of part of Wayne's was it his aer- aerodynamic uh, division, was it? Yeah, but it, it's like a kind of a secret project. He kind of like slipped it in there. And I, I guess it's for that deep space monitoring that got messed with. And uh, Green Lantern says it's impressive and Flash says even has a fully stocked kitchen. Yes, he gets, uh, was it a mocha? And he offers it to... <laughs> yes, he does. And Wonder Woman tries coffee for the first time, I guess. And she likes it. Superman gives a great speech about how they need to, he thought he could solve the world's problems on his own, but he sees now he could use help and they should work together. Flash says. What? Like a, a bunch of super friends? Eh? Eh? Hey! <laughs> Superman says no. More like a Justice League. Which does kind of have the same cadence as we're like some kind of suicide squad. Where it's, it's not a phrase that you would use except for the fact that you're name dropping the team. It's like, even if you if you lived in a world where the Justice League did not exist, like there's no media franchise, even if you and a group of people were working for a just cause, would, would you ever say the phrase, we're like a Justice League? Well, Superman gave that speech, so you have to think he's been thinking about this idea for a while. So I don't He was think- stuck at those goop walls for a while, so he thought he'd pass the time by brainstorming some names. So I don't think uh, the Justice League was on the fly, off the cuff. I think he, while he was making his speech, I think he had that in mind. And I mean, you got to think about it. As preposterous as it is, that's a, that's a great name. That name yes. inspires so much when you hear Justice League. Wally says he thinks it's corny. Yes, Wally does find it corny. So they start doing the the shot of all the fists in. They're putting their hands together. Wonder Woman says how uh, she's uh, intrigued by man's world. She's definitely in. Even though her mom may not approve. Batman says he's not in. Yes. But he'll be there when you need me. There's two people who are not in the the circular hands-in shot. One of them is Batman. And Batman's so smug after saying when you need me, he says, and you will need me. Now, 
Watching this show, like, as a kid, that part confused me a little, because Batman's like, oh, I'm not gonna be a member of a team, I'm not a people person. But in every other episode, he's he's basically a member of the team. He's like, I'm not gonna join the Justice League, but I basically am. If he knows they're gonna need him, why isn't he joining? <laughs> he's just being a dick. <laughs> it's like he wants... He wants to go both ways, where he's not joining, but he is joining. At the, like two things that can be true type of philosophy, I guess. Look, he, he's a member of the team. He just doesn't want to do their little group huddle with them. And then you notice Martian Manhunter is not in there, and they don't know where he is. Even though the like shot shows he's like 10 feet away. Yes, he's part of the room. I guess he didn't hear the speech. And Superman comes over, and uh, Martian Manhunter talks very somber about how he's the last yes. survivor of Mars. So- Superman says he can relate. Yes, it's another nice little character moment here. Because Superman has also lost his home planet and his people. He never got to know them, but he came to Earth and it became his adopted home. And he says, maybe Martian Manhunter can find a home on Earth too. They can be his family. And he smiles. Uh-uh. And he goes over and he puts his hand in there. Boom! He joins the Justice League. And it does end with the shot of just the six of them and not Batman. Because they really you want know, to establish that Batman's uh, he's not a team player. Batman is the team dick. <laughs> I imagine he's just like ten feet off to the side while they're doing their little standing together group pose, and he's just like, "Nope, not getting involved. Not doing this. Not uh, taking a photo with you guys." But there you have it, Justice League Secret Origins. That, that took me back a ways. Uh, that was fun to watch. Uh, bring back a lot of memories for you. Yeah, um, I'm surprised by how much I remembered, because a lot of that, like, freaky alien stuff sticks into your mind, like, people getting stuck in goop walls and in pods and stuff drilling into the ground. There's a lot of imagery that was like, yeah, I remember this. At this point. At this point. We're going to jump right over to the spectrometer. meter of spectros that's right where we rank what we just watched zero to four zero spectros being absolute dog shit four spectros being it can't get any better than this how do you rank justice league secret origins let's see i think like three and a half spectros maybe like i said there's a couple of parts where the dialogue gets very clunky and stating the obvious e and characters delivering exposition but for the most part, I think this is pretty good. I think it holds up. Um, it moves out of a fast clip, but it doesn't really feel like they're going too fast that you can't understand because, like I said, watching this when I was a kid, I was not familiar with a lot of these characters. Like, I didn't know. I knew, like, the concept of Green Lantern. I knew the name. Couldn't tell you, like, what the character did. I think I had heard of Hawkman, maybe, but this was a Hawk girl, and she's a different character. Even if you're not, like, super familiar with the characters, there's not, like, anything that's too hard to grasp. Green Lantern flies, he's got, like, green energy stuff that he can make, and he's the very serious, militaristic one of the group. You don't really need to know his backstory to to enjoy the story. I also am going to give it three and a half spectros. I, I really enjoyed it. I The animation style is great. I love, I think they nailed every character. None of them, I think, are, are a miss. The costumes are perfect. They didn't change hardly anything. I like the addition of Jon Stewart and Hot Girl. The costumes, I have to say, are very shiny. Like everyone's cape has like a shine effect on it. And like you said about the speed, I, I this is the longest, one of the longest things I've ever reviewed on Matt Spectra through the multiverse. And it felt like it flew by. It felt very quick. 
I love the interaction of the characters. I like how they all play off each other. I think they nailed the personality of all the characters. My only complaint, it's a tad derivative of other things, which, you know, you're talking superhero, science fiction, adventure, a lot of things are derivative. The villains are a little bit boring, I have to say. The Imperium guys were created for the TV show. They're not from the comics. And they're really just kind of alien invader threat. Go fight these guys. So a little derivative, and it's just they, they sacrificed a villain just to get the team together. But overall, I'm giving it three and a half stars. It's, uh, it doesn't get much better. The Justice League is uh, one of my, uh, if not definitely ranks, as one of my favorite superhero animation of all time. I think Martian Manhunter really is kind of the standout of this episode. I mean, he's the one that we get like the backstory for. And I talked a little about the flashback he has. I liked how the backstory is delivered, where the only dialogue is his voiceover explaining it to the others we don't hear like the imperium getting any dialogue or the martians getting any dialogue when we're on this planet and i feel that kind of adds to the the somberness of the scene it's which really is kind of the what's the word you used to describe that last scene with martian man not during is kind of like the mood of his character he's someone who's already lost his home and lost his people and he can't really get any of that back but what he can do is, you know, prevent further tragedies and do his best to be a good person and hope that everything works out well. And we see how he, like, tries to, to settle in throughout the, the whole series. We kind of see him, like, opening up a bit more and how he bonds with these people. There's just a lot of really good character stuff for him. He's kind of the driving point of the episode where you see Superman having these weird visions and flashes and it's sort of an intriguing mystery where you want to find out what's going on and it leads him to Martian Manhunter, which leads him to putting together the team and being able to defeat the Imperium and good character moments of him interacting with Superman and Wonder Woman and his whole perspective. So he's really the standout character of this episode, I think. I would agree. The two best things I think about this is, uh, even though there hadn't been a lot of superhero team cartoons at this point, there had been X-Men. Um, I think it's one of the better ones at actually approaching it like these characters are seven different people. They're not all the same personality and how people would interact just like any job. They would butt heads and collide and would have their individual personalities get brought to the table. And secondly, I mean, you can't beat a good, yeah, from Hot Girl. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, every week we ask if a child of 2021 stumbled across Justice League's Secret Origins. You think they would enjoy it? Um, like I said, it moves at like a fast clip, so it's pretty easy to engage with. I don't think there's like any real like boring scenes or waiting for something to happen. And you don't really, like I said, need to be too familiar with the characters. So I think it's accessible. I don't know how much it would appeal to people today because there's like tons and tons of cartoons for superheroes out there. So I don't know if this one will like stand out from the group but it did strike me about how like bright this show is it's got a lot of like good use of color palette it's very like hopeful feeling while still having some darker moments i feel like if you're a little burnt out by like the justice league always fighting each other or stories about people being afraid of superman and you just want like a more optimistic story i feel like this would stand out to you I'm going to say I think a lot of kids would like it because they're going to be familiar with the majority of the characters, a lot of action, very bright, like you said. Uh, my stepson, who had never watched anything with superheroes, he's now 15, but he was, I think, 11 when he and I first watched this, and he really got into it. So I'm going to say, yes, I think a child of 2021 would enjoy. 
And it's Justice kind League, of Secret Origins. It's kind of a gateway because you watch the Justice League show leads into Justice League Unlimited, which was a lot of giving lesser known characters a spotlight. I think Justice League Unlimited introduced me to a lot of characters I'd never heard of before. Like I didn't know who Hawk and Dove were or Fire and Ice or the Blackhawks, and they all get like scenes or episodes spotlighting them. Vibe so. showed up for God's sake. <laughs> yes, there is a cameo from Vibe. Doesn't delve into a whole lot of backstory, but introduces you enough to the character that you know who they are, you know what their personality's like, and makes you want to like learn more and see more about them. Like what is going on on that alien planet that Green Lantern was dealing with? Are we going to see more alien planets? Stuff like that. What did you think? Did you enjoy Justice League Secret Origins? Did you like it better than us? Less than us? If you liked it more, that's okay. If you didn't like it, hey, that's all right too. We can't take that away from you. Uh, we want to hear from you though. If you can go to my social media and let me know what you think. My Twitter is at uh, Matt Spectro. So if you could give me a, a follow, give me a like, give me your comments. You can find my Facebook page, Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. Please, uh, if you could listen like smash that subscribe button follow me i'd really appreciate it smash it while going Rah! exactly really when it, <laughs> you do anything i'm gonna go to the next time i go to the gym every rep i'm gonna go yeah <laughs> i want to thank delaney for joining me on this episode being the youngest viewer in the history of our show that's right bringing a fresh new perspective people out hip there with the kids tired of us old fogies talking to men in tights but uh, definitely, I also want to make a little announcement. I am going to be going on vacation. I didn't want the show to have a, a hiatus, so I will be having some guest hosts hosting for me. Former guests on my show are going to be doing some hosts, so be nice to them. Please be kind. They might do some experimental things, do a little different. They're not going to completely change the show, but uh, bear with them and uh, give them your love and support. Just don't say they're better than me as a host. <laughs> Glenn, any final thoughts on Justice League Secret Origins? I... Recommend that people try it. I feel like it stands on its own. So if you don't want to watch anything else, but you got 60 minutes to kill, you can watch this. All right. And thanks for joining us. And please join us again on another episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. And until then. Yeah!